bench, it's time for something different. Time to look at ice hockey. Finals weekend, and the way they do it in the AIHL, it's just a showdown at one venue, Saturday and Sunday. Two semi-finals Saturday, grand final for the good old cup Sunday night. You're caring Sydney Bears. All about caring. And all about caring. Well, you're caring, and they are all about caring too. Sydney Bears have made it into the final four, but they have the Australian Ice Hockey League of Mission Impossible facing them. They finished fourth. They take on the runaway minor premiers, the Canberra Brave, in Sunday in Saturday's first semi final, three o'clock at the Newcastle Ice Dome tomorrow afternoon. They are underdogs, but they go in with more than a puncher's chance. It's been great to have them on board this season, and it's equally as great to have Ryan Annersley, who was uh, outstanding with four assists in their win over the Adelaide Adrenaline in the last regular season game last weekend, on the line right now to talk about that almost impossible mission against the Canberra Brave tomorrow. Good evening, Ryan, and welcome to the bench. Good evening, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, take us through the last weekend of regular season play. You did get the two wins. Uh, it was a tough win against the Ice Dogs on the Friday night, and then uh, you did show um, close to your best, if not your 100% best against the Adrenaline uh, in the last game of the season. Adam Dowder, Chris McQuinn got hat-tricks. You had four assists. Nice tune-up for the finals. Yeah, definitely. We kind of spoke about um, there's no magic switch that you can just turn on coming into finals weekend to start playing better. So we knew we wanted to come in kind of on a bit of a hot streak. Um, obviously, the boys were uh, were turned on last weekend, and we, we had a good one. Always nice to beat the dogs, your, your cross-town rival, and obviously we, we did sweep them this year too, so that was nice. Um, and then, again, on the against Adelaide on the Sunday. So nice to come in with a couple wins under our belt. Unfortunately, though, you got the results from Melbourne and um, look, while it's difficult to accuse another side of throwing in the white towel, the Perth Thunder really did a number on uh, a dispirited Melbourne ice to snatch third place. Yeah, look, at the end of the day, um, whether Melbourne was, was uh, bruised and battered or not, it, it, it's on us during the season to kind of um, make sure that we don't put ourselves in a position to rely on other teams. And, and unfortunately, we did that near the end this year. Um, but hey, we got in. And uh, the way these finals work here, it's one game elimination anything can happen so we're definitely going in a confident squad um we respect Canberra, know how good they are but uh, at the same time anything can happen in one game playoffs having played uh, hockey elsewhere how hard is it for yourself to get your head around a sudden death one game winner takes all elimination final system when you're used to best of three five seven nine whatever uh, elsewhere you know, it's not that hard. Um, when I was obviously a young kid playing and growing up playing juniors, stuff like that, there was always the seven-game playoff series, which gets really intense and they're a lot of fun. Um, but when I went away to college, um, the college NCAA tournament style is, is the same. It's one-game elimination. So um, it's something that I'm fairly used to now. Um, still don't know which one I prefer, but it definitely gives everybody a chance going into finals weekend. And uh, from that aspect, you got to love it. All right, then, let's get down to business. We all know how good the Canberra Brave are. Runaway minor premiers by 20-plus points. They've been the benchmark all year. Apart from stating the bleeding obvious of, OK, score more goals, what do you have to do to break them down in this sudden-death semi-final 3 o'clock tomorrow in Newcastle? Uh, we had a pretty good week of practice where we went over a lot of systems. Um, I won't share those specifics with you guys just in case we got some uh, some spies listening. But uh, 
they got a really good first line. That top line um, has some really uh, uh, almost superstar-style players, so we definitely want to try to shut them down. Um, we're looking for our goalie, Anthony Kimlin, who's the best in Australia, to, to play up to his best, which we know he can. He did last year in the finals um, and, and a lot throughout this season, so I think um, a big game from Kimmer is definitely part of the recipe for success. And just it's just a full team game for 50 minutes. Um, we've kind of been inconsistent this year where we've had our ups and downs. Um, and we're really looking forward to putting together a full 50-minute effort and, and coming out with the win on Saturday. Or maybe even more than 50 minutes if you have to go extra. Right, yeah. Well, obviously, I don't know uh, how familiar you guys are, but we did lose the grand final in overtime to yep. Canberra last year. So I uh, wouldn't be shocked if this one's a low score and does go to overtime, but we're prepared for whatever kind of game uh, they throw at us. You mentioned... Uh the up-and-down performances. You have run hot and cold at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but those three lines, um, I know you don't want to give away too much, but you may have to interchange to beat the flexibility that the Brave can throw at you. Yeah, certainly. I mean, look, you don't uh, only lose one game all season without being deep. So um, we went over the scouting report of, of all their guys and, and you know which ones to attack, what to look for from certain guys, tendencies and things like that. Um, but like you said, it's going to take... You know, it's going to take all, all 15, 16 guys on our team um, if we're going to have a chance to beat them on Saturday. So just need everybody to step up. Does that include having to mix it? I mean, because not that we're advocating that, but in a final, when things get heated out there on the ice, it can get rather nasty at times. You've got a few guys in your roster that are no shrinking violets, put it that way. Yes, certainly. Look, it's it's that fine line, right? You want to play with emotion. You want to get in some scrubs and stuff. But uh, we know how good their power play is. So um, one of our keys is to stay out of the penalty box. So just really depends on on how the referees are going to handle the game. If they're going to let us get away with a few pushes and shoves after the whistle and some scrubs, or if they're going to call it really tight. Um, But we should know that, you know, within 10 minutes of the first period. So uh, that being said, I'm sure there'll be some hits and some rough stuff. There always is. What about your defensive line? You mentioned... You know, arguably the best goaltender uh, in the country in Kimlin, but he can't do it all himself. He's going to need some help from particularly that defensive line right in front of him to hold firm because you, we all know what the Brave can offer in attack. Yeah, certainly. And I, I think rather than just focusing on uh, the defense, even though obviously you know that's pretty obvious and that's a big part of it, it's more going to be how, how we play our systems You know, throughout the neutral zone. Um, are we letting them come through with speed and, and letting them attack um, on odd man rushes, or are we coming back as a unit, all five guys, making sure that we pick up? Because it's not just their forwards that are dangerous. They've got some D that like to jump in as well. So um, from that aspect, we kind of want to have a, a unified front um, beat on the blue line for, for defensive effort. Um, there is a train of thought out there that you've got to get in the Braves' face. You've got to get them out of their comfort zone because they're the best wheelers and dealers in the competition. They've proven that this season. Um, again, without wanting to give away too much, is that the best way to tackle them? Um, look, yes and no. A lot of their guys that are, uh, like I said earlier, that are kind of their superstar guys, they've been around a while. and They've dealt with all kinds of uh, different game plans from other teams, be it in this league or others. Um, some of those include trying to get in their head and, and mix it up. Um, I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure it will happen. Uh, there's some guys that we're going to key in on in terms of uh, not exactly shadowing, but definitely making sure we have a tight tight eye on them. But uh, in terms of going straight at them and trying to get in their heads a bit, I, I think that at this stage they've, they've probably been through that before, and, and I'm not sure if that would just be wasted energy at this point. At the other end of the floor, though, you've got enough strike power yourselves 
with Durham McQuinn, a couple of others that uh, are no slouches inside the attacking third. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that, our, our top line as well, you know, Adam Dowda, um, Danik Goche, Jake Ratcliffe, those guys have had uh, a heck of a season. Uh, Danik can shoot the puck just as, as good as anyone I've seen in my whole career. Um, his release is that special. Um, Dowd is great at, at picking up speed and skating uh, basically from end to end if he has to. He's got that puck on a string, and then, and then Ratcliffe is a great compliment on that line because he can both pass and, and finish. So um, there are no slouches. They're, they're, they're right up there with the, the top of the league. So um, we're looking for them to have a big game and, and put a couple pucks in the net, that's for sure. What about uh, the fact that the Brave had a rest last weekend or a relative rest compared to you guys? That it, um, there's two trains of thought. You probably heard them a million times before. Some are very happy to have the week off or have the rest, get over the niggles. There's the other train of thought. You go in battle hard and you go in with momentum on the back of two wins. Which way do you subscribe? Look, I think it's case by case. I think it depends on how banged up your team is at that current time. I can't speak for Canberra. Um, it was nice for us to get two wins under our belts here at the Sports Center coming in. Um, that being said, I'm sure I, I know that you know they're well coached. they got a good organization over there. I'm sure they were staying busy, probably doing some game-like uh, activities during their time off. So we'd love to get an early jump on them to see if they're, if they're a little bit sleepy out of the gate, but uh, we're not expecting them to come out flat by any means. What about, you mentioned... Um, being banged up or having injuries. What about the roster? Um, are they as fully fit as possibly can be heading in? Ours or theirs? Yours. Uh, yeah, yeah. We we recently got our captain, Michael Schlamp, back, which is huge. Uh, big body, likes to, likes to play that physical game, go to the net, which is great for us. Another leader in the room as well. Um, and uh, it should be the rest of the lineup is, is, is ready to rock. So um, we were lucky. We were fortunate that nothing, uh, no injuries heading in here. Um, on our end, so nice to have a full lineup going in. That's very important. Now, what about the neutrality of the venue? There have been some mutterings and whinging from south of the border that, oh, you know, it's not in Melbourne this finals weekend. Why have they taken it to Newcastle? What's going on here? They've taken it away from the heartland of the game, etc. But as Keith Topolsky mentioned in his rap last week, Seems to be a pretty good Nostradamus-like masterstroke from the AIHL and Ice Hockey Australia that they've picked a pretty decent neutral venue or venue for this uh, finals weekend with no Melbourne teams involved. Yeah, look, all the politics aside, Melbourne is uh, definitely the best rink in Australia. Even the Newcastle guys will tell you that. Um, however, Newcastle's not that far behind. Nice ice. The ice is usually pretty good there. It gets cold, um, which helps keep the ice uh, nice and firm. And then Obviously, they have glass, which is something that we'd love to have at Macquarie. So um, the only thing that, that I can really think of is just capacity, um, but they seem to have that figured out. I'll let the, the smarter people, uh, the higher-up people, um, worry about those kind of things. But for us at this stage, it doesn't really matter. Our fans travel well, even last year to Melbourne. So expect a nice Bears turnout, and uh, I'm sure that place is going to be loud. Well, I was just coming to that. How many supporters? I mean, there's still, I believe, some tickets available, but... Hopefully you can get some supporters that will take the trip up uh, the uh, the motorway uh, to the Hunter for at least that first game, and maybe you give them a reason to stay overnight uh, uh, for a grand final on Sunday. Yeah, that's what we're hoping. We had our um, presentation night there after the game against Adelaide on Sunday, so or excuse me on Saturday. So uh, spoke to a fair few fans that are heading down for the game. So. Uh, we're definitely looking forward to uh, to seeing the uh, Bears continue seeing the crowd and hearing them. They're always 
loud and supportive. And then, uh, as you said, we're, we really would like to uh, give them a reason to stick around for the whole weekend. Finally, there is the other semi-final that will follow you at 5 o'clock tomorrow. I suppose you're not worried too much about that at the moment, but that should be a beauty between the, the North Stars and the Perth Thunder. Perth having to travel, Newcastle on their home rink. They're going to certainly have a full crowd behind them for that semi-final. Um, I suppose you don't have a preference in a finals opponent, but maybe you do, especially after uh, the battles you've had with the North Stars this season if you get there. Yeah, look, I mean, the parity in the league is is uh, is is pretty good right now. Um, that's a hard one to call, almost like a coin flip. Obviously, Newcastle, as you said, backed by their home crowd is kind of you got to think we'll give them a little bit of an advantage, especially with Perth traveling all the way over. Um, in terms of thinking that far ahead, we haven't even haven't even crossed our mind. We got to slay the giant before we can even think about who we'd like to take on in the finals. To be honest, so um, one day at a time, and then uh, you know, hopefully everything goes well in the afternoon and maybe we'll stick around and watch and see who we could potentially be playing in the uh, in the grand final. Indeed, Bears supporters love that sort of talk, Ryan. Nice and positive. Look, finals uh, series in a lot of sports are littered with odds-on favourites that have become roadkill and whilst we don't want to wish that on the Canberra Brave per se, uh, they are the odds-on favourites going in and the pressure is on them. You can swing from the hip, from the ding, and who knows what may happen. The very best of luck, Ryan, tomorrow for that uh, 3 o'clock semi-final against the Canberra Braves. Hopefully, you've got another appointment 24 hours after that at 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon in the grand final. All the best of luck. Yeah, thanks a lot. Hopefully we can uh, we can pull the Columbus on Tampa Bay this year. That's, that's a good example. So uh, thanks, look thanks out. for uh, reminding me about that. <laughs> Indeed. Good luck slaying the giant. It's great to have thanks, you on guys. board. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ryan Annesley from the, uh, the Sydney Bears. Bye, Jay. The biggest sports event happening of the last seven days had to be, without question, the events of Headingley on Sunday night into Monday morning Australian time. I still remember 1981 and a gentleman called Ian Terence Botham and then uh, RGD Willis coming down the hill from the Kirkstall Lane end, snatching uh, victory from the jaws of defeat. And we all thought that was the miracle of Headingley. Well, it changed. A second, more modern version took place with Ben Stokes at the forefront to level the series at one all and give the psychological advantage well and truly to the home side. To discuss that, as well as other things in cricket, it's great to have the Northern District Captain Nathan Smith online once again. Hello, Nathan. I'm sure you're still recovering like the rest of the cricket-following public of Australia has. Hey, good day, guys. Uh, amazing how history repeats itself, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, what were your thoughts as that final day unfolded as to how you caught up with it, whether you were up watching it like most of us were. Um, Matt Mears has certainly pointed himself. He was up. I was listening to it from work. You just had that sixth sense, didn't you, that while Stokes was there, England had a hope. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're, you're sitting there watching and just thinking it couldn't happen, like surely not. Um, it was a world record chase, and Ben Stokes has had to play, like in my opinion, it's the best innings I've ever seen. Uh to get them there and it, it really has taken something special to get them across the line and it's arguably one of the best test matches you'll ever see. Even the last week of partnership, Matt, when mm. Broad was LBW and they still needed 70-odd when Jack Leach came out. 
uh, even then you would have thought that Australia were just about there over the line. Well, you'd think so, but it's just come down to being one of those magical partnerships. As I said, uh, being a, a spectacled number 11 myself, I always... As much as I degrin the, the, the result, I always love to see one. And that single by Jack Leach, the the scenes, the the recreation that you've seen the photos come out with throughout the week, what just this reaction on social media as well to Jack Leach, he's just as much about a, a part of that win as Ben Stokes was. Yeah, it's, uh, incredible. it's an amazing partnership, like, uh, to get 70 runs in your last wicket stand is <laughs> it's a good effort no matter what the situation let alone when you've got a test match on the line and you can pull off history so fair play to them like you have to sit their heart and it keeps, it keeps the series alive which I think everyone will be pretty happy with uh, hopefully the audience will come out on top but it's, it's pretty exciting going into the next test well just going back to Ben Stokes innings the, the sheer amount of runs but the but how his innings started versus how his innings finished, overnight being not out about I think two. It was two off sixty balls. It was the ultimate slow burn, wasn't it? Yeah, and then in that last wicked partnership, the reverse sweeps and all the t all the t twenty slash one day batting coming out. It's just showing as much as the the total the um, hundred and thirty five not out shows. Just the different playing from the beginning to the end of his innings, just show, that's just, I think, an extra level special that I hope doesn't get lost over time. Yeah, as, as it went on, it sort of went from everything to lose to nothing to lose. And you could just throw the kitchen sink at it, and gee, he did it well. He showed how destructive he can be, and I'll say it again, it was special to watch. It was amazing, really. Well, it was. Uh, you could see now why uh, the English banked on him for the last tour of Australia in 2017-18. And once he was unavailable due to those well-documented incidents off the field, it was pretty much England's chances went with them. And he'll be a key factor when they next come to our shores again. But before then, um, the post-mortems have been many and varied about where Australia went wrong. Um, yes, Stokes played at innings of a lifetime. And yes, he played out of his skin, and yes, it was something special, but Australia had multiple chances to close this win out, and they didn't do so, starting with the way they batted in the second innings itself, when they could have given England an impossible target rather than the 359 than they did get. Then you look at some of the, the captaincy and some of the bowling changes in that uh, fourth day, and then right down to Nathan Lyon dropping the ball with the return over the stumps. And then Joel Wilson's uh, giving Stokes not out after Australia burned their reviews. There were a number of opportunities for Australia to close out that win. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, as you said, you can count on more than one hand how many opportunities we had. And look, at it's, it's as disappointing as it is that the career God's talking, I'd say, and keep the season alive. Um, Australia will rue the opportunity to go 2 0 up, but I think uh, they won't be too disheartened by it. They're still, I still think they were the better team, um, and it took something special from a special player to, to take that away from them. Going so, to going into the next test, I think they'll still be very confident in their ability to be able to take it out. Well, that's going to be the thing. How much, Matt, of a psychological blow 
that last day at Headingley is when we go to Old Trafford next Wednesday? Well, it's going to be in the back of both teams' minds when they step out there for that for that first day. Is that yes? It, it's going to give England that boost. They 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 lost that first test, and you could see it in the second test the way that the English played and. Australia were on top, but but something like that, something coming from behind, really does play uh, into the mental side of cricket, where now you've got the Australians going, well, we're on top here. We made all the right calls in the first test. The second test, we obviously lost to rain. And we bowled them out for 67 in the The first test. Yeah, in the first inning. So something's gone wrong. Whether they're going to admit that openly or not, probably not. But in the back of their mind, certainly they're going to be saying something went wrong here and it's going to be the senior players that are going to start to question those decisions. Whereas England are going to go out there with the confidence at 110% because they know that now if they can get any into any position at all, even being bowled out for 67 in the first innings, they can still win the match. Yeah, definitely. I think... I think it'll benefit England more than it'll disadvantage Australia. Definitely, this this result um, it'll just give them confidence. It's sky high. They've got James Anderson coming back into the team, uh, which is their leading Test wicket taker of all time. So uh, they'll be their confidence will be sky high, as I said. And Australia, well, we've got Steve Smith coming back, so I can I can imagine the boost that he'll give the team. Uh, but, again, there'll be a couple of changes, I think, and it'll be interesting to see what to go with. Well, let's have a look at those changes because I think there'll be some changes for England too because you have to question whether Ben Stokes can go back to the well again as he has done so many times this English summer. He did it in the World Cup final. And don't forget, not only did he do it with the bat in this third test match, he did it with the ball. I watched that spell on the second evening when he bowled unchanged after tea for two hours for 15 overs straight at consistently the fastest bowler in that English attack, nudging 90 miles per hour, which is about 150 clicks, uh, 150 kilometres per hour in the metric language. And to do that for two hours over after over after over uh, when all seemed lost was just as important in the comeback as the heroics with the bat was on the last day. So with all of that... How many times does Ben Stokes or can he go back to the well? He's supremely fit, yes. He's mentally strong, but he's got other players that he's carrying in that side at the moment. And we're interested to see whether any of those players, namely Jason Roy, in particular at the top of the order, um, and possibly Joe Denley, are going to be around for Old Trafford. That's the English conundrum. The Australian conundrum? Well, Marnus Labashan has to be kept. He was outstanding and has been outstanding since he came in as Smith's replacement. So who do you drop from that top order? There's a couple of theories floating around. One of them, drop Kawaja and then play Labashan at three, although Kawaja's captain in this tour game currently in progress in Derby. And he's opening the batting as well. And he's opening the batting. So is that uh, that a possibility? Is that uh, a a key to the thoughts of uh, Justin Langer? Um there was a train of thought, a radical train of thought going around that Tim Payne should be dropped because he hasn't scored runs, that Matt Wade be given the gloves and that you appoint someone else's captain, maybe Kawaja if you keep him in the side. And then there's a third train of thought out there, which is the most scary one for me, which I hope they don't do. We have this compulsion to find the perfect all-rounder. We've been doing so for 40 years since Keith Ross Miller retired and with Justin Langer at the helm 
we fell for that trap in the Freddie Flint, in the Andrew Flintoff era, and now that Stokes has done this to Australia, there's a, a train of thought that perhaps Justin Langer will go with Mitchell Marsh on a like-for-like basis. That is fraught with danger. Gentlemen, I'll throw it open to you about all those conundrums with selection for the fourth test. Jimmy Anderson, yes, best English bowler of all time, wicket-wise, but he's not fit. He's only bowled four overs in the last six weeks. Oh, he played a second 11 game and got 20 overs under his belt. But who does he replace? But who does he replace in that English uh, uh, attack? Do you drop Joffre Archer? No. He's become just as much an X-Factor player. You can't drop Stuart Broad. Chris Wakes gives you a little bit of batting down the bottom. He'd be the, the main suspect. So, to the floor. Gentlemen. Yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting sort of argument to go around. Um, both teams are actually in very similar positions. Uh, going into that test, whether they actually go with Anderson, who, yeah, he got 20 overs under his belt, which is probably more important getting over, overs under his belt than a performance because you know what he can do. Um, with Australia, though, like, I just I feel that Kawaja and Harris are in a, a shootout for that opening spot, and Labuschagne has just come in and he's cemented his spot. He has to be picked now just purely on weight of runs, and he's looked mature when he started, started the conditions very well. And he was the outstanding performer. And if he can play that form with him and Smith coming back into the team, that's a very good three and four that can be the spine of our innings. Um, as for which way they go, Harris is 50 not out overnight. Collage is 18 not out. So I think probably, to, in, in all honesty, I think probably today will show um, in that two match what, what way the selectors will go. Well, it's going to be an interesting thing as well. As said, obviously, Jason Roy is probably, I don't think, will be available. He won't be making that 11 for the English side. It'll be interesting to see who in that well of county Zach cricket. Crawley, who played for Sydney Tigers last uh, yeah, summer. But you, you bowed to him, Nathan Smith. He's no slouch. Yeah, definitely not. Um, it'll be, as I said, yeah, it'll be really interesting. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure what way either team will go if I'm unsure. Yeah, it's going to be one for the cost, and we'll see which way they go. Well, and and again, it'll be the, the Australian rotation in their bowling again. Pat Cummins played all three tests. Will they want to rest him and save him for the Oval? Um, Pattinson, they've only played one and two. Do they rest him again for number five? They've got to bring Mitchell Stark possibly in at some point. Stark, because his I think left arm variety and his 150 kilometre per hour Yorkers to the tail were sadly missed in those frantic few uh, closing overs at Headingley. Yeah, well, as I said, you've got you've got Stark and you've got Siddle. That well, Siddle's done nothing wrong, as well. He's bowled that English line that. They, I think they lacked in that second innings. The first innings just went past with such a blur that everyone was getting wrapped up. Yes, we've got the big three firing quicks, and look what they can do. But when it, when push came to shove, it was almost like the Australians went back to their Australian-type bowling short of a length. It was just sitting up nice and easily for the English. They needed someone to bowl that line and keep the pressure on from one end. In saying that, though, Old Trafford is, at the moment, the fastest wicket in England, which is another X factor, isn't it, Nathan? Yeah, absolutely. The wicket will come into play massively. You'll you'll see Nathan Lyon sitting for one end. You might see with Stark getting some wickets overnight. Um, you might see someone like him come in just purely for that variety, that pace, and the left arm is is definitely an X factor. It's a different angle, and it it just changes the whole dimension of how batsmen will face them. Uh, Michael Nesbitt as well overnight got three for 
whether he comes in or replaces Kittle, uh, take that new ball and swing it early, take a few early ones, although that hasn't been our, our problem. Um, he, he's, still, he's still there and thereabouts and putting pressure on the selectors by taking wickets. Well, that, yeah, that's another question as well. They're looking for that all-rounder spot. If, if, if Payne was the one to make the place, Nisa can bat seven, and you give the gloves to Wade to bat at six. There's, there's so many palpitations here with this 17-man squad. I think everybody's going to be waiting for that half an hour before the toss to see who actually is going to take part in that 11. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, as you said, it's... It's mind-boggling how many options we can actually go for, and uh, yeah, oh, I'm just going to see who they do they pick in the end, and also uh, they pick the best eleven that we possibly can, and we can knock them off and go two-one up in the series. Well, I'm not going to make any predictions. I've uh, ducked out big time. I put the jinx on Australia the last two Friday nights. I'm not going to say anything except to say. There's going to be uh, both sides of uh, the equator waiting with bated breath for that opening day at Old Trafford. Probably the most anticipated fourth test since the 2005 series next Wednesday. Bruce? Who said Crest Cricket was dead? Oh, well and truly <laughs> alive and well. I mean, when you have a look at other test series going on around the world, Sri Lanka winning the first test against New Zealand in Galway. They're not travelling as well in the second test. And India having to work hard to beat the West Indies in the Caribbean. Briefly, before you go, Nathan... Uh, with all this rain and cold weather around, it's probably a nice time to rug up indoors tomorrow for what will be one of your last Saturdays off for the next six and a bit months. Yeah, definitely. Uh, feet up still at the moment, and we're training hard during the week. Weekends are still off, but uh, it's an exciting time of the year leading into the season, and we're excited to get going uh, with our first trial game coming up next week uh, against Blacktown. Yes, Blacktown, the first trial game, followed by Gordon on the 14th, and then it's the uh, defending Premier's Penrith at Mark Taylor Oval on September 28. We'll catch up with you again next week, uh, Nathan, after uh, we'll be two days down, heading into day three at Old Trafford, weather permitting. And uh, that is going to be anywhere near as exciting as what happened at Headingley. We'll be in for an absolute treat. It's great to have you on the bench again. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Nathan Smith, the Northern District captain, talking all things cricket on the bench.